your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line if you want to get in here. A Friday, finally. And it's not 900 degrees out. It's lowering temperatures, getting low. The, uh, my, my furnace slash air conditioner decided to break about a week and a half ago. And then it got 9,000 degrees. Super fun the last last couple of days or last week, I guess, of enduring what it must have been like as folks in the 1980s had to endure without air conditioners, right? Maybe you had a window air conditioner, but no central air. I remember in college at UW-Stevens Point, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars used to practice in the summer summer camp mini camp whatever you want to call it uh at UW Stevens Point and then it, there was a summer there where I was going there and the Jaguars had wanted the dorms and and facilities air conditioned otherwise they weren't going to come back and Stevens Point decided not to do that and I just I can't remember like the dorms being all that hot in this in the early part of the year but I was on the first floor so maybe I lucked out there um, but they definitely weren't air conditioned. But yeah, just they, it took a lot of get, getting used to the idea of having having to like camp out in the basement and and strategically moving and placing fans throughout the house to blow in or blow out hot or cold air. It's kind of the worst. I'd much rather have. So if anyone wants to uh, come install a blower fan in my furnace to see if that's a problem, uh, feel free to come help out because I have no idea. I look at all the wires. I'm like, I'm going to pull some wires here, and then that'll be the end of it. Uh, 608-785-7914. A couple of things before we bring on UW lacrosse political scientist, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. He's going to break down the RNC. We broke down the the DNC, Democratic National Committee, uh, last week, and and we're going to break down the, the Republican side today and uh obviously we're going to talk about that kenosha incident as well and and probably maybe work sports back into that um but today the covid website got updated so a couple days ago i well was it a couple days ago maybe it was yesterday maybe it was two it was two nights ago i i kind of i went under the I call it the CCC, the Triple C, the Cooley COVID-19 Collaborative, to just check on the data, see if anything's changed. And nothing had changed, literally, since it launched last Friday. I put out a story. I'm like, uh, story hasn't changed. Uh, the, the website hasn't changed. Well, talked to the health department. They said they were going to update it today. It was updated today. So they updated the Triple C website. And the metrics, you know, they're kind of kind of the same. The metrics went up a little bit, 7.6 cases per 100,000 to 9.8. This is all on wisdomnews.com. Hospitalization rate jumped from 0.73 to 2.06 per 100,000. So not huge. It's pretty much in green, the the case rate's in yellow. But the the metrics are updated through August 25th. And kind of a lot's happened since August 25th in terms of just cases. We've had the most cases ever yesterday. We had 24 cases today. So the second most cases ever. Before yesterday, 24 cases was the most cases ever. So in the last two days, we've had the first and second most cases. And the day before that, we've had 17 cases, which is pretty pretty substantial. So those three days worth of cases not taken into account into this new COVID collaborative website 
that we're supposed to use to gauge when, when and whether and how schools should reopen. And, you know, all the area counties had used this thing because it, it, you could, on the, the, the compass anyway, the compass had all the counties on there. And I get if the compass is obsolete, it's obsolete. But if you're going to put a new site up and wait 16 days to launch it after you take the old one down, maybe you should update it daily or, or, or maybe you should update it with the latest numbers, at least when you update it. I don't know how hard it is to to uh, to do that. Obviously, it's probably too hard, but they updated it through August 25th because August 25th is Wednesday, and they're going to be updating it on Wednesday. It was August 25th? No, August 25th was Tuesday. So, but they're going to update it on Wednesday at 3 p.m. now instead of just not instead of on Fridays. So the next update will come September 2nd at 3 p.m. and it'll probably be through data through September 1st. So one day old data instead of what we've got now three-day-old data. But it's just like kind of an unfortunate coincidence that the three-day-old data is the highest cases Lacrosse County has ever had back-to-back days. So, um, and, and what else is interesting about cases and, you know, whether this trickles into hospitalizations and deaths, we'll see. But Iowa set a, a record, and I, I, was, I, I update these things pretty early in the morning. The Iowa dashboard, you just go on there and look and see where they're at. Iowa doesn't put out a case report or anything like Minnesota and Wisconsin. They state puts out these reports. Well, Iowa, Iowa put out their, I checked the dashboard at 4 a.m. today or this morning. And I just had, I had to do a double take and it was at 2,600 cases. So Wisconsin, and this is uh, countries are shutting down for 800 cases. I mean, Wisconsin and everywhere else in the United States, eh, 800, no big deal. Um, Other countries are shutting it down. Well, Iowa had 2,600 cases. This is ridiculous. Like Minnesota had 1,000 cases for the first time ever. Iowa, 2,600 cases. And I'm like, uh, did I write some numbers down? Because I could have easily messed that up, of course. But I, 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 I put the story out there this morning, and, and then word came out today. Iowa Department of Public Health is including antigen testing results in its COVID-19 reporting. You'd think like heading into the idea of doing that, Iowa would update the, the public. Hey, by the way, case counts are going to jump threefold by 300% or more, you know, depending on because the case count case count is different every day. But hey, we're going to we're, we're you're going to see like thousands of more cases in Iowa because we're adding a different testing. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text live. Number 3 is calling in. Hey, number 3. Counts are going to jump three. This is Eric. Oh, hey Eric, go ahead. Yeah, this is uh Lacrosse County Health Department are a lazy bunch of fools because a lot of it's not Eric. It's not the county Eric. It's, their... Eric. It's not the county health department. It's a collaborative Gunderson Health System, Mayo Clinic Health System, and Gunner, and the Lacrosse County Health Department are in a collaborative. So if you're going to call out one, you got to call out all of them. I'm not. I'm just saying. I think it was a coincidence that we had our worst case, our worst or most cases the last two days. And the the super new up, updated website, the collaborative that's supposed to tell everyone how the virus, how to better gauge the virus, and it's going to be more specific and and not just you know not this linear thing. Uh, it's more specific but broader. It's kind of a weird way to say that, but uh, yeah. So um, all all three of them, you got to blame all three. Number three, go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, see, this hot weather next time it comes is going to be cool next week, but. Try to find a girlfriend with air conditioning. <laughs> well, her dad's a her dad's an electrician, so I was gonna I was hoping that maybe he'd come like check out my blower fan. 
Well, yeah, electrician, that's what they do. They they work with blower fans. Yeah, so we'll, yeah. We'll, I'm, I'm buttering them up. We'll see. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work or not if you're taking out his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I'm hanging up on you for that. we got to go to the news. Uh, we'll be back here with Dr. Anthony Chergosky, UW, uh, UWL political science professor. Uh, we'll talk about the Kenosha incident and the RNC convention coming up on Wisdom. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line if you want to get in here. Dr. Anthony Chagoski, UW Lacrosse political scientist, is on with me right now. We're going to break down the RNC convention, Kenosha, Wisconsin special session, uh, Wisconsin legislature special session, uh, sports, NBA, sit out. The, the, it sounds like they're going to play again. Uh, what else we got, Anthony? Anything else on the docket we can fit into a half hour? I think there's been about 20 years worth of news this week, Rick. So <laughs> we've got our work cut out for us. Yeah, and where do you want to start? Can we just can we start with Wisconsin? The special the special sessions. A hard word to say or a hard phrase to say. Um, it, it, it's going to come Monday, and in it, it's something that 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 Evers brought up just a couple of days ago, or has this been on the docket for a while? It's new, and I I saw a misconception, actually, from uh, a sports reporter. And, and Rick, you know, you're you're a sports reporter. You're a sports guy who gets politics, so that's what makes you so great. But, you know, I saw this NBA reporter who um, did not really understand what was going on. He was saying, well, like, the Bucks sat out the playoffs, they boycotted, and now all of a sudden the Republican-led Wisconsin state legislature is coming back into session. And so the Bucks made it happen. They made the state legislature take up criminal justice reform. That's not at all what happened. The legislature is required to go into session when a special session is called by the governor, but they're under no obligation to debate any proposal or vote on any proposal. And what we've heard is that when the Wisconsin State Senate gavels in on Monday, this didn't gavel right out. So it doesn't appear like any action in response to Kenosha or any action in response to criminal justice reform more broadly is is particularly imminent. Is, I mean, they've done this at least one other time. Have they done this more than once? I, did they gavel in some gun legislation and gavel, gavel in and out of another? Is this the third time they're going to do this? That's exactly right, Rick. I do believe the most recent one was for that gun legislation. And I think Tony Evers is aware that the Republicans aren't going to take any action. I think the point of calling a special session is to generate public attention and to try to generate public pressure, basically just to try to score some political points and to try to get attention to a particular issue. But as far as actually getting concrete action taken on an issue. The special sessions Governor Evers have called have not been effective, and it doesn't look like this one will be either. Okay, so but what I heard from Evers a while, a couple days ago was him and I think Mandela, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes brought this up. They had some, some proposals on the table that just happened to be uh, from a while ago that now seem relevant invol- involving the Kenosha shooting. Is that true? Did they have some stuff going that we just we just don't pay attention to because, you know, we're, we're Republicans versus Democrats and we don't have to look into this stuff? Well, that's exactly right, Rick. You know, there were, uh, for example, 
coming out of the George Floyd murder, there was a proposal to ban uh, chokeholds and to ban no-knock warrants. So there have been some proposals on the table kind of as this national reckoning with racial injustice and this national conversation about policing has been going on. So it's not like this issue has come out of nowhere, but I think it did gain a new sense of urgency and gain a new sense of attention coming out of the situation in Kenosha. I talked to the Lacrosse County District Attorney yesterday, and I said we could do some of these things seem very simple, like boom, gavel in, special session, vote on banning chokeholds, gavel out, we're good, or don't gavel out. And hey, how about we we come up with some funding and fund every police department and every sheriff's department with uh, body cams, so that we don't have this issue where we're only watching one like one snippet of of what happened and we're you know our our streets are rioting our country's under fire because because this police state this police uh, department didn't have body cams otherwise i feel like a lot of these questions would be answered oh i i think so and i was you know i i was also you know taking note of the fact that there are no body cams in Kenosha. And so funding for body cams could be a potential reform. Like we talked about uh, issues related to chokeholds and no-knock warrants could be on the table as well. What I've heard, Rick, is that the Republicans are interested in potentially packaging these issues with some of their own priorities, like protecting funding for police and and like punishing certain localities if they do cut back on police. So I I think what the Republicans angle would be if they do end up playing ball here would be to package some of these various reforms together and just vote all vote on all of them in one pile. Yeah, and then we get into this. What do we call that? An omnibus bill, something like that. I don't know if it's omnibus when it's you know just a smaller package. But the idea that we can't vote these things one at a time, like, hey, this thing, how are we good? Good, good. Yay, yay. All right. Yay, nay. Next thing, how about it? I, I just don't understand why we can't get into a situation like that. We got to play politics oh, with it, and we can't give. Does the governor get a win here? Can't the can't the legislature, the GOP legislature, claim a win here if we did body cams for the entire state? Well, I think certainly going into an election year, they're very much thinking about what the politics of this issue are, especially in those swing districts and especially in those key districts that the Republicans would have to flip to their side in order to achieve a two-thirds majority in the state assembly and the state Senate to get a veto-proof majority across the board. So I think election year politics are for sure going to play a role in whatever decisions are made. But Rick, you're absolutely right. You know, it's not fashionable nowadays to just vote on issues one at a time. You know, the only way that things can really get done now is to just lump everything in one pile and just vote on a massive law uh, and with who knows what contained in it. And that's just how things are done right now. And I don't think that that's an particularly effective or transparent way to go about lawmaking. Well, and we don't even, we don't even, well, the House, the U.S. House votes on it because they've got, you know, about a a big enough majority there, but the Senate doesn't vote on anything because they don't have a majority. So they don't even put, they don't even put the stuff on the table to vote on. It, It would be, and then they argue about it for weeks and weeks, and then they go home because they're, you know, they're out of session or they're, you know, they got to get their vacation in. But 
but yeah, the the amount of time spent arguing about whether or not we should vote on something because it's got stupid things in it, we we could just we could delete all the we could delete the the giant paragraph, bullet point everything, and in that time, I think we would have enough time to vote on each each individual package or not even package each individual thing. Ricky, bring up the Senate, and there was something that caught my eye related to that from the Republican National Convention last night when Senate. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell gave a taped address, and when he was listing his accomplishments and when he was listing the accomplishments of the Republican-led Senate, the number one thing he listed was stopping stuff that had been passed by the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives. So I think like that just really highlights the partisanship and just the brinksmanship in Congress right now, that, that the number one accomplishment was stopping things from happening, stopping the other party from doing stuff. Yeah, we're talking with the UW lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chugoski. All right, so his number one accomplishment was, but stopping, did he say stopping? Because that's a weird way to, to phrase it. Stopping would be like, I, I, I liken that to the Senate voting on something that the House passed and the Senate voting it down. They're not even voting on a lot of this stuff, right? Yeah, not even taking it up, uh, Rick. And yeah, that's exactly what he said. He said there that you know the Republican Senate is the like line of defense against the Nancy Pelosi led House Repo- House Democrats. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that that line perfectly served to illustrate how it is really difficult to get things done in Washington when one party controls one chamber of Congress and another party controls the other chamber of Congress. Yeah. We, it'd be nice if we could get those, those uh, chambers and even in the state to, uh, Hey, you know what? You guys actually have to vote on the things that are passed. Like, you know, if these proposals, you actually have to vote on them. Like you, you have to be on record yay or nay on, on, and, and that's fine. But at least then we know where everyone stands on this stuff. And Rick, that would really change the lawmaking process because you know, there are things that would pass if they just got a vote. But one thing that the party leaders do is just stop things from getting voted on in the first place. And so they prevent things from even being considered. But if they were to allow it to be considered, it would have enough votes to get passed. This is one thing that came up in the Obama administration when immigration reform was being considered. It had the votes to pass in the Republican-controlled House of Representatives immigration reform, but the Republican leaders did not allow a vote on it. And so that was what stopped immigration reform from becoming law. So that makes, I mean, that makes these party leaders just super important people in legislatures because they really are the gatekeepers. They really do determine what does and does not get considered. We really pick on the Senate for doing this stuff because they obviously the House is passing things and, and the Senate is not. Is the Senate passing things that the House isn't voting on? Well, Rick, the Senate's main function over the last uh, few years, especially since the 2018 midterm election, is to be crotchety old and white. Confirm judge after judge. Okay. I was going to say it's just to be crotchety old and white and not vote. I'm not voting on that. 
<laughs> there, there are, uh, there is an abundance of crotchety people in the Senate. That is for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, Rick, it's just a judge confirming factory in the Senate. I mean, Mitch McConnell's chief goal is to transform the judicial system and to have as many conservative justices on the federal courts as possible. And the nice thing for him is that the Senate is the only chamber involved. Like, the House has nothing to do with confirming judges. The House has no say at all. So the Republican-controlled Senate has complete control over that process, and so they've really been focusing on doing that because it doesn't require them to have any dealings with the Democratic-controlled House. Well, if it, if it had to go through the House and the Senate, then they're just we wouldn't have judges anymore. We wouldn't have a court system, I'm guessing. <laughs> I think that's right, Rick. I mean, I mean, like, what judges would be acceptable to both the Republicans and the Democrats nowadays? Like, I honestly have no idea, because judges have become such a partisan issue. And, Rick, it didn't used to be the case. I mean, you know, you go back several decades, and most judges would just get unanimous votes, because people just voted on, like, are they qualified or are they not qualified? Do they have skeletons in their closet or do they not have skeletons in their closet. They didn't really think about the ideology of the judges. But nowadays, everyone is focusing on the ideology of these judges. The Democrats want liberal judges. The Republicans want conservative judges. And so it's really become an all-out war over these judicial confirmations because they just want to stock the judiciary with judges who share their party's philosophy and then they're and then they're like lifetime appointments and we're we're confirming like 18 year olds to do that (laughs) that's what that's the whole name of the game rick i mean get as young of a person as possible who is as committed as possible to your party's ideology and that is an ideal uh a nominee yeah, I wanted to I wanted to bring up HR1 and the idea that the House passed something that the con- that the Senate I don't know if they passed it or not, but I got to take a break. We got Scott's comment coming up, but it's Ken Cooper's comment and uh Brad doing the news. We'll be back after this. I'm with him. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608-785-7914. It's a Friday here with Dr. Anthony Chagoski, UW Lacrosse political scientist, and he's joining me to break down well, we haven't done it yet. We haven't broke down the RNC convention. We'll get to it in a minute. But I, we were talking about the Wisconsin legislature and the idea that they're going to gavel in and gavel out of a session involving the Kenosha shooting, not involving it, but like kind of kind of hovering around issues with the Kenosha shooting and issues that Governor Evers had had proposed after the George Floyd murder. And, you know, the nobody ever we never took up these issues and now it's happened again. And eh, it's kind of like school shootings. Like we we never take up these issues. We thoughts and prayers our way out of the the pandemonium. And then we, you know, have have a little bit of peace until the next school shooting. Um, This is this is kind of taking the same note. Right. Chagoski, like uh, we're just going to wait. We're going to wait this out for a couple, maybe a week. And then it'll be we'll be fine until the next thing happens. Right. 
Yeah, Rick, you know, I, I think that the Republicans are still deliberating what they want to do in response to Kenosha, if anything. Uh, you're absolutely right that Tony Evers did have kind of a package put together. Uh, I don't think that the Republicans want to take that up, but I do think that the Republicans will feel some political pressure to do something. So, I, you know, I think we'll have a lot more clarity on this situation, like around this time next week. As far as like if anything is is going to happen, if there's going to be some kind of limited package, if you know what the case will be, I, I think that it's still really unfolding, and and the Republicans are the, their leadership in Madison is still trying to get a feel for kind of where they want to head with this. Now you mentioned to me before the show that Robin Voss is going to get a task force together. We're going to talk about this for two three years, right? Yeah, and that got a lot of criticism from Democrats, of course, because you know, sort of. <laughs> some sometimes people feel that with ta- setting up a task force, it's just when you want to avoid the issue. You know, you want to delay action. But of course, you know, Voss was saying, well, you know, we need to deliberate. We need to bring people together. We need to uh, gain information about this. But yeah, you know, sometimes task forces are, are what you do when you want to maybe stall a little bit. Yeah, the easiest thing to do here, and I just I don't understand why this is why this would be frowned upon if the in the Republican controlled legislature, the idea that we're going to have a special session on Monday, they haven't have, have, is it still April when the last time they met in session or have they since? Uh, it might it might have been. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. If they haven't met in the last 3 weeks, then it's April because uh, they have because it was April 3 weeks ago. So, so our so our legislature hasn't met in three weeks in the middle of a pandemic, and now in the middle of a you know nationwide a second nationwide protest or worldwide protest. If you want to talk about George Floyd went worldwide uh, amid you know police violence and and you know police issues that that are on the table here, both happening right here in our you know home state, essentially Minneapolis, just next to us. So uh, the idea that Monday special session we're going to gavel in, gavel out, like why? Why is it why do Republicans feel like they can't talk about like get on the record here? Here's why we don't want to pass whatever it is that that Evers is proposing. I feel like if they were if they were to like, let's debate this. Let's get in session and debate it. What are they doing? I think the politics of this are kind of complicated for Republicans, Rick, because they want to, of course, avoid offending their base. But they also need to be attentive to picking up and defending certain swing seats in the upcoming election. And so, you know, what doesn't offend the base, but also appeals to kind of middle of the road swing voters? I I think the politics of this are difficult for Republicans. And, Rick, you know, a lot of times what happens is just that the, the closer you get to an election, the more just frozen in place things are and the more difficult any action gets. Yeah, another rule that maybe the legislature should pass is, hey, when we uh, call a session, we have to discuss things. Yeah, well, I mean, like, in theory, you know, we would like to have deliberation, right? And we would like to have, you know, some some debate on these issues. And, um, you know, I, I think that the Democrats, they point out that, 
you know, there, there haven't been a lot of opportunities for deliberation. There haven't been a lot of opportunities for debate. And there haven't been a lot of opportunities for voting in the legislature. So, you know, it seems like the Democrats' argument is just that, like, the, the legislature has been very inactive. And, you know, I don't know if that's an effective argument or not. But, I mean, the facts do pretty much show that the legislature has not taken all that much action. Well, you kind of made the joke earlier that I'm the like I, I'm the former sports journalist that's getting into politics, and I kind of know both issues. But the way the government's worked the last four years, I'm like, you know, I'm like, is this how it works? We call into session and we deliberate stuff, or is that not how it works? We just gavel out. Like, what what would happen if we didn't gavel out? And you're like, no, they would deliberate this stuff. That's how it works. But I don't know how government works in the last four years because it seems to be different than, you know, maybe six or ten years ago. Well, yeah, Rick, you know, that's one thing that I have to do in my classes. Like, I have to kind of, like, unwind a lot of that sort of classic civics high school knowledge from students because, you know, kind of like the classic textbook high school civics how american government works it just doesn't apply in this era of intense partisanship and brinksmanship that we have so you need to rewrite the you need to rewrite these books right like you could start a whole side business how government actually quote unquote works yeah i mean like a, a lot of what people learn about like congress for instance like isn't true like congress has this like deli- high-minded deliberative body like no and like a lot a lot and you know that you know people work out compromises and they get together and negotiate and you know everyone is involved in you know writing the bills and, and there's just so much about kind of like the the like I said, like the middle school or the the high school civics class version of American government that just doesn't really reflect reality nowadays. Well, that's because Congress keeps defunding schools and nobody gets mad about that. <laughs> we can't afford books. <laughs> yeah, we're still working with the textbooks from 1960. Um, well, at least in college, at least you guys in college make your students buy the books. I don't know how that works anymore. Maybe they Maybe they share a book because nobody has any money anymore. Hey, UWL does textbook rental, Rick. That's oh, one of that's our big right. perks. Oh, you know what? Grant was mad about this last spring because they, because of the pandemic, they couldn't go turn in their books. So they were given like a, a UPS voucher to, to mail their books back. And Grant's like, I've got like 50 pounds worth of books. This is going to cost, so you know, $100, $100 or however much it costs to, to send something. And he lives in town. Like he could just go drop the books off. But instead, <laughs> he's going to send it via UPS. So his, you know, and we're trying to avoid COVID on books, right? So we're going to put it into yeah. the mail system and then give it. Yeah, it's just, oh, my gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> Tell Grant if he needs to be reimbursed, I'll help him out. No, I think, no, the, the UWL was was paying for the UPS, was paying, like, for the whatever system, you know, FedEx, UPS, whatever. They were paying it, oh, but, yeah. but it's kind of a hassle to, like, pack up your books and, and, and send them. It's a lot easier. Grant probably lives two blocks from wherever he needs to drop his books off of. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, like... One item, one million on the list of crazy things that happened last semester. Right, like one of the one of the weirdest things. But you know, Grant was on the show for a while because because we just you know we were tightening things up around here, and uh, it, it was just one of those things that weird things that came out. Like, really, that's how we're doing that. But um, all right, so let's let's get into the RNC convention that happened. Obviously, it, it's it's wrapped up now, and 
and Trump had, I think, a 70-minute speech, and you know he was getting the the low hashtag low energy Trump uh, tweets last night. I think. Yeah, it, it was a pretty lengthy speech, Rick, and it honestly reminded me more of like a State of the Union speech than like a traditional campaign speech because it didn't really have a single overarching theme. It was definitely more of a collection of various issues and various topics. But I do think his signature issue, or at least what he wants to be his signature issue, is law and order. That's when he bought up Kenosha as an example of a like a Democratic-run city that's just being subject to like mob rule right now and with all this chaos and all this destruction and that he's going to impose law and order. And I, I think it's pretty clear at this point, Rick, that uh, Pence and Trump really do want law and order to be like the issue of this election. It's it's kind of a funny thing to to think about because. I believe I don't think a lot of people view the police all that badly, but the idea that we want more police and more law, more order, like I I do want to go 11 over the speed limit when I get home. I don't need more law and order. I don't. Sometimes I forget to put my seatbelt on. I don't need more law and order. Like I I want to do these things that I can skate by with without getting a ticket. <laughs> Well, Rick, you know, I think I think a couple things have to happen for this whole plan to work. I think that Trump and Pence have to convince the American public to view law and order as like one of the two or three most important issues in the country today. Right now, it's not viewed that way. Yeah, but, they, but they, they just need to make more people view it as important. And then they need people to base their vote choice off of the issue of law and order. So, I mean, I think it's a pretty risky strategy. I mean, it, it, it may not be a bad strategy just based on kind of the, the available options to Trump. But, you know, I, I think that they're really going to have to emphasize this and it's really going to have to click with the public. Like the public's going to have to really come to see law and order as like one of the issues of the day. When the RNC, before the RNC convention began, what was the, the idea? Well, first of all, they didn't really have an idea of what they were going to do. But wasn't the, the overall theme going to be like positivity? Wasn't that kind of going in? That was what we thought was going to happen or not? Am I, did I hear that totally wrong? No, you're right, Rick. You know, the, the uh, Republicans were promising an optimistic tone, a hopeful tone, but they really went after Joe Biden hard and painted this really kind of horrific picture of things that are happening in cities that are controlled by Democrats. And by the way, that's kind of how Dem- how Trump was trying to avoid blame for, you know, the unrest and the the various uh, protests and 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 the various riots and stuff like that. You know, he was saying basically it's not his fault because these are cities run by radical Democrats. And then the argument is, well, Joe Biden is controlled by radical Democrats, so that's why you should vote against Joe Biden. And and that really was the theme coming out of the uh, the convention, Rick, that law on this election is about law and order and that you can't trust Joe Biden because he himself may not be a socialist, but he is like controlled by the socialists within the Democratic Party. You remember Connect the Dots? When you were a kid, obviously you might re- yeah. remember that. Like, is this a really com- complicated connect the dots or a really simple one? 
it definitely is a connect the dots thing, Rick, because the core problem for the Trump campaign is that people do not believe that Joe Biden himself is a socialist. They do not view him as a far left political figure. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's this, middle right. This whole campaign is way easier to run if Bernie's the nominee. It just really <laughs> works better if Bernie was the nominee instead of Biden. Yeah, he, it's funny, though, how our political system is, because we have the, the far right, the right, and then the Biden right, and then, like, the left. <laughs> and, and, and then maybe Bernie's, like, far left. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not that politically savvy. Uh, I'm sure there's, like, very – I'm sure there's, there's got to be a country or a, some kind of uh, entity that's further left than Bernie. Oh, definitely, Rick. But, you know, I, I think that the Trump campaign really wanted to run against Bernie because they can make it a choice between, like, freedom and socialism and frame the election in that way. But you're right. They have had to kind of pivot to a connect-the-dots sort of strategy because they cannot get people to buy the argument that Joe Biden is a socialist, that well, Joe Biden is a radical. What they're trying to do is get people to believe that while Joe Biden himself may not be a socialist or a radical, that he's basically like old and tired and easily manipulated. And it'll just be like this puppet for Bernie and for the squad and for the rest of kind of the more liberal elements of the Democratic Party. Yeah, it's always funny. Like the the argument, whatever the argument that the Trump is making or the GOP is making is also the thing that's happening with the GOP. Like you know, like the, the, we're we're already in that situation. Um, wh- when I say connect the dots, too, I'm I'm wondering if there's like seven dots to connect, or there's seven billion. Because <laughs> when you talk about Joe Biden and he's you know he's going to let the 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 left run wild the and what's going to happen to the country when Biden is is president are we going to have more protests and more cities on fire or are we going to have like 90s Biden I don't understand the the correlation there that that the GOP tried to make either well they're basically saying that you won't be safe in Joe Biden's America, period. I mean, that to me was like one of the most eye-catching and striking uh, lines of the convention when Mike Pence just said flat out, like, you won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. He didn't say, you might not be safe, or perhaps you won't be safe. He just said flat out, like, basically, like, you're in danger if Joe Biden gets elected. And so the Trump campaign is just really trying to just, ratchet up the stakes sky high for this upcoming election by by really painting a picture of an America that would just fall apart if Joe Biden gets elected. So they're saying with Joe Biden elected that the, the, he's going to do the defund the police thing, which he's already said he's not going to do. There aren't there isn't going to be any law and order. So whatever happens when there's no law and order. And then also Joe Biden is that guy that had too much law and order in the 90s. So we can't elect him for that either. Right. Like, in, it, I, I, I'm not understanding <laughs> that. I, I, yeah. I mean, so Joe Biden has been criticized throughout the convention for backing the 1994 crime bill, which was perceived as, you know, uh, contributing to racial injustice and contributing to mass incarceration. So, uh, you know, on the one hand, I mean, Joe Biden got criticized for this during the Democratic primary, that he was too hard on crime, that he was, you know, part of the problem when it came to racial inequality. But now you kind of see the opposite argument that, you know, instead of being too hard on crime, he's actually too weak on crime. (laughs) You've seen like different 
arguments and different portrayals, uh, just radically different portrayals of Joe Biden's record on crime. Yeah, the, the, if you if you just accuse him of all the things, then then you you have no you know if, you, if I'm going to say the Bucks are going to win the NBA championship, and then I go on Grant's show later and I say I don't think the Bucks are going to win the NBA championship, then I've got all my bases covered. So that's kind of what the GOP is doing. Biden is too hard in crime. Look what he did in the '90s. If Biden gets elected, he's going to be too light on crime. Look what, at what he did in the 90s. <laughs> I mean, maybe the idea is just that Biden is so kind of boring and that people just don't have there's just not a lot of things that people even think about Joe Biden, that he's just kind of this blank slate in a lot of ways that people will kind of project anything onto Joe Biden, you know, that, you know, they'll view him as a socialist, they'll view him as too hard on crime, they'll view him as too easy on crime. You know, (laughs) maybe the idea is just that people will kind of like believe whatever about Joe Biden, because people just don't have really strong views about Joe Biden. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know what, we need a boring president, we just need like four years of super boring, and we can kind of like reset and then we'll, you know, Ocasio-Cortez can be the president in four years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> can she though i don't think she's old enough i don't remember how old she is i think it, I, I don't think she might be not not be old enough speaking of things that are really dumb you got to be 35 to be the president come on <laughs> i know i know yeah yeah uh hey and, and back back in the day when the constitution was written like that was like the middle point of your life or, or like you were past like the midpoint of your life. All right, Chagoski, here it is. Here it is. Ocasio-Cortez turns, she's 30 right now. Her birthday is October 13th. So will she be old enough to be able to run for president in four years? So she's turning 31 nope. in October. Yeah. She just, yeah, she, yeah. she just makes it. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy! Well, why, why aren't they running on that? <laughs> if Joe Biden is like if, if you elect Biden, then AOC is next. Yeah, that's I don't know. I don't know. It's like we've we've got it. We've got it. We came up with a the a good thing. Nobody nobody's listening. <laughs> All right, man. I'm gonna let you go. Thanks a lot for for joining me again and, and breaking down uh, everything we did. I don't even know what we broke down, but we broke down quite quite a bit. Thanks a lot. So we broke down something or another, Rick. We Thanks broke so as well. <laughs> Later. Uh, Dr. Anthony Dragoski, UW lacrosse political science professor. Uh, that was that was super fun. Um, all right, we're gonna take a real quick break, and we'll wrap up the week after this. Yeah. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm just gonna wrap up the week. A couple minutes here to get in. Uh, Eric is on hold here, but libertarian guy. Well, he's texting me paragraphs that I'll read after the show and, and reply to. I, I I do try to reply to some some of the text. Some of the other texts are. Um, a little racist, a little oddly not having to do with anything that I'm talking about. And I don't understand why they get thrown at me, but that's fine. It is kind of funny. I just kind of chuckle as Jurgoski's talking. I'll read a text and I just kind of double take like, what, why, why was that texted to me? But, but, uh, in our conversation, libertarian guy texted in, uh, Rick, you're describing a linear continuum. There's a pop. There is also populism and libertarianism. Those two political spears are not left and right. You're thinking two-dimensionally. And you're right, but that's kind of where we're at. And I feel like I was trying to point out some of the problems with the idea that we have, you know, at least in the Wisconsin legislature, we have, you know, a GOP-controlled legislature and a Democratic governor. And in fact, there's only one state in the entire country that has a split legislature where the House is 
I believe, Democrat and the assembly is Republican, or it could be the other way around, is Minnesota, my state. Uh, it's the only place where it's split, and they have a Democratic governor. But there are problems there, too, but it, it doesn't seem to be as... Tchaikovsky said this last week, the Wisconsin legislature is like, the, the, like, like what politics are and, and then times 100. He said it's, it's way worse in Wisconsin than anywhere else. So, um, but yeah, we, have, we definitely have problems with the Wisconsin legislature being uh, split in these two parties. And then they, they butt heads and they don't want to ever give anyone else the win. And then it's election year and, and nothing, nothing comes <laughs> to fruition because they don't, they don't want to do anything. So it's, it's, a, it's a problem. And we're going to see it Monday when the special session gavels in. Nobody debates anything, right? Nobody's going to talk about anything. And then they're going to gavel out instead of like, hey, you guys are in session. Maybe talk about the issue that at hand. And at least we can get, you know, your take on it. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend. We'll see you Monday.